Well, Proverbs chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. So if you would open up your Bibles, if you have that in front of you, turn on the smartphones or read it off the screen. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. If you've been around the church, you've probably heard this text before. Uh, but we are going to be reading verses 1 through 6. We're going to be talking about verses 5 through 6. All right, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 6 together. All right. Let's read that. This is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. This is the word of the Lord. I used to, uh, where I preached beforehand, if someone says this is the word of the Lord, you would say thanks be to God. Don't usually do it here. We'll give it a go today. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right. Outside of the John series, we are in the book of John together as a gathering. Um, outside of that, we've been periodically doing something that we're calling the Behold series. The word of the year is Behold. We're looking to behold Christ this year and become more like him as we do that. Um, and how we do that through this series is by looking at the promises of God and learning about who he is through those promises. And today, the promise that we're going to look at, it's going to be up on the screen he guides his children as they put their full trust in him. You can listen. He guides his children as they put their full trust in him. Oh, it is up there. It's not up there. That's fine. He guides his children as they put their full trust in him. Please pray with me, and then we'll continue together. Father, we love you because you first loved us. And you have demonstrated your love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in his name we pray now that our worship would go higher as you deepen our understanding of your word. Open our eyes that we may truly behold wonderful truths about you. Give us understanding and we will obey your word and keep it with our whole hearts. Would you please guide my thoughts, guard my heart, and govern my words so that everything I say will be honoring unto you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Dr. John Cavanaugh, he is a noted ethicist back in the day. Uh, he was going to take a trip to Calcutta. And the purpose of his trip was to find out how best to live the rest of his life. That was the purpose of his trip. And so he goes to Calcutta to meet up with none other than Mother Teresa. And so he goes... And he's working at the house of the dying where she worked. And he brings the request that he came thousands of miles to, to ask of Mother Teresa, please pray for me. And she says, well, what do, you want me to, what do you want me to pray for? And he says, clarity. Please pray that I have clarity. Mother, Teresa, Mother Teresa's answer, I think, came as a shock to the doctor. She said, No. I will not do that. When he asked her why, she said, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must let go of. And when the doctor 
said to her, well, you always seem to have clarity, the clarity I, I really want in my life. Right? You, you seem to know where you're going all the time. She, she laughed. She said, I've never had clarity. What I have always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. The exhortation of our text today and really what this message is going to be all about is very simple. Trust God. Trust God. If you've never heard of Jesus Christ, trust him for the forgiveness of your sins. If maybe you're a new believer, but you're not sure if you could get plugged into a local church because you're looking for the perfect church, there is no perfect church. Trust God. And maybe you're a seasoned believer, but you get tempted every now and then to make your own plans and ask God to bless it afterwards. Trust God. We're going to see that today. And really, the message is for those like me, those like the doctor in the story, those that cling to clarity rather than simply trust. Now, he does guide us, right? Our text literally says that. He does guide us uh, in, in our walk of faith. He will direct our paths. He will make your paths straight. Psalm chapter 32, verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Psalm chapter 25, verse 9 says, He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Psalm chapter 37, verse 23, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. But we see in Proverbs chapter 3 that he does so. He leads, he guides, he directs, he establishes our steps as we trust in him. And so what does that trust consist of? What is that trust like? And that's what we're going to see here today. There are three elements of this trust that we're going to look at. And they're, they're quite simple. But I think, okay, they're easy to understand. They're hard to obey. Right? And that's what we're going to see today. It's, it's simple. It's not going to take no deep exegesis or complicated exposition. But it is something we need every single day to be reminded of that he's worthy of our trust. And we need to lean on him. And these are the three things we're going to look at today. He guides us in life. He directs us. He establishes our steps as we, number one, trust him with everything. Number two, lean on his understanding above our own. And number three, acknowledge him in all our ways. And you'll notice that I just read the text. I'm a really good reader, not very creative when it comes to making outlines. That was literally it. So if you read the verse, spoiler alert, you know what's coming. All right. That is what's coming. Trust in the Lord, lean on him, and acknowledge him in all our ways. But hopefully we get something out of this today. So let's read verse 5 again together. And first, he guides us in life as we trust him with everything. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We first see a call to trust. So trust in the Lord. That's the call. Trust. Some of us might find it difficult to trust because we've gotten into relationships where we've put our trust in someone else, but they've constantly, time and time again, let us down. Uh, or uh, we, we've been in a workplace where people just try to go on top of each other and, and use one another to, 
to, to get the advantage. So it's hard for us to trust. But the call of the Christian life is that we are called to be people of trust. But it's not just any trust, not in anything, not in anyone, but the object of trust that we're going to see here as well. He says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Uh, this word translated as trust li literally means to, to lie face first on the floor. Um, as, if, as if a servant is coming to their master waiting for a command uh, or a conquering or a conquered soldier uh, approaching a conquering general. Uh, this, is, this is the idea of trust. So to trust God is to lean on him and if he were to fail, if he were to fail, you'd be done. You would sink. It's to lean on him and if he were to fail, you would sink. So the question comes, why, why trust him? Why is he the object? Why not trust my financial security? Uh, why not trust my own intuition? Why not trust my own abilities? Uh, why not trust my, my job security? Uh, why not trust uh, me climbing the corporate ladder trying to get to the, to the top? Why not trust anything else? Why is he the object? And that is very simple. He is worthy of our trust. God is worthy of all our trust. Uh, how many times, uh, those of you that are parents, those of you that are work in kids' ministry, um, how many times have we heard, but you promised, but you said, it's, it's interesting because you'll notice if, if you do promise something to a child and you don't follow through with that, you will see disappointment on their face like nothing else. Kids crave promise keeping. And, and, and it's very important that a child has adults around them that keep their promise because they feel secure. They feel safe. Uh, just last week, it was Thursday, it was raining cats and dogs. And it was raining a lot. And I, I pick up my daughter from, from daycare um, every day. And it was raining, so I took my car. It's at the top, top of Ogori up there. That's where her Orini Jeep is. And or daycare, and I went up there. This time I drove, picked her up, and she asked me, she told me the same thing she tells me every single time I go to pick her up. She says, Appa, I'm like, whoa. All right. Well, today we can't because it's raining. So I said, tomorrow, if it doesn't rain, if it doesn't rain, we'll go to the playground. That's what I told her. So tomorrow comes. Sun is shining. Day is beautiful. Moods are happy and glad. I should have walked up the hill. I still took the car. And I drove up, picked her up. It was, everything was normal. Picked her up. Got her in. Hey, how was your day? It was great. We're going through. I'm going up the stairs to get into my house. I opened the door. We're about to step in. Up. Appa. Why aren't we going to the playground? It's like, pianwayo, you know, it's like, come on, it's not raining. What's up with that? I had double booked. I, I'm serious, I had double booked. I had something, somewhere to go, and I couldn't fulfill what I told her I would do. And I forgot what I told her. But isn't it wonderful that God never forgets what he said? He keeps his promises all the time. 
Uh, he never changes his mind. He never misspeaks. He, he doesn't carelessly give his word. If he says he will do something, he will do it, period. And this is why we say God is faithful, because the word faithful literally means worthy of trust. He is faithful, and he has proven himself to be worthy of this trust. And you say, well, how has he proven it? The cross, right? What Jesus has done for us. Uh, in the book of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says this to the believers in Corinth. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So here he's, he's identifying God as the one who called us into relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul is reminding God's people that if they could trust God's faithfulness in salvation, they can trust his faithfulness in everything else. And as believers, we know that God has kept his word in salvation, in saving us. So what other proof do we really need? Uh, he has been proven to be faithful. And we, like children, we crave promise-keeping, don't we? we? We want to surround ourselves with people that will make, will make good on their word. And certainly God is proven to be totally faithful to everything he said. And I think oftentimes we even seek to satisfy this craving of promise-keeping, maybe not through our relationship with God, but through our relationship with other people. Or by believing the subtle promises uh, that Satan whispers in our ear. But the truth, however, is that God is the only one who is, off, who is always faithful because even the best people make mistakes. And the smooth talking tongue of Satan surely can't be trusted, but God can. All the time and in every situation, he has proven that to us through his son, Jesus Christ. His character is just, his ways are good, his nature is holy, his promises are sure, and his faithfulness is unchanging. This is our God. And he is worthy totally of our trust. And that's where the text goes as well. The word totally. So not only is there the call to trust, the object of trust, we're to trust in the Lord, but also the nature of that trust with all your heart. Trust the Lord with all your heart heart. Trust God wholeheartedly. Rely on God completely. And it's an interesting way to put it because there isn't really a half-hearted trust in God. Like you don't say, oh, I kind of trust you. That's not trust, right? There is only wholehearted trust in God. Um, I didn't, we'll see if this works. When I came in today and I observed to see people sitting down, what I noticed is that no one approached their chair. This is why I brought the chair. Welcome chair. Uh, no one approached their chair and inspected it first. Uh, no, one, no one said, I think it's good. And then come to sit down. And I'd also noticed that no one here, there's not even a person standing in this room. That's nice. There's no one here sitting like this. Just in case this chair doesn't work out, I'm going to sit like this. Man, that's, that, that's exhausting. I tell you, I've been doing this for about three seconds. My legs are burning. <laughs> it would be very uncomfortable. But also, nobody does that. How do we sit down? When we sit down, we're straight down. 
In fact, if you know any pranksters in the room, I've never been a prankster, and you've, and you've seen a prankster pull out the chair up from under somebody last minute, and they've already started the motion of sitting, what happens? They're on the ground because they started that motion. And they have fully trusted that this chair is going to support and bear their weight. Um, all that to say, I think sometimes in our walk with God, we kind of sit like this. <laughs> Where it's like, yeah, I trust God. But if he doesn't work out, I'm going to make sure I got all my stuff planned out. I'm going to make sure I have my entire life planned out before me in case what he's called me to do just falls through. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. It's also true, I need to, I need to get off this chair illustration, but I'm still sitting down. Um, it's also true that when we come in here every week, we sit in these chairs, right? So we know, we've established in our minds that these chairs will hold up our weight. And in fact, we don't just see the chair that we're sitting in. We see that everybody in the room, they're sitting in this chair and it holds them up too. And so we've experienced the, the weight-bearing nature of these chairs, but we've also experienced other people sitting in those chairs as well. The same is true with our relationship with God. We've experienced the goodness of God. We've experienced the strength of God. We've experienced the trust of God. Not only that, we've heard the testimonies of those that we love and cherish here in, the, in this gathering. Surely, he can hold you up. The nature of that trust is with all your heart. It's not half-hearted. It is wholehearted. And I'm not saying check your brain at the door. Check wisdom at the door. Don't consider your life. Don't plan for your life. You should do those things. But what are your plans about or who are your plans about? Are they about you and your sense of security or are they about him and his kingdom? And that's exactly where Solomon goes next in the text. Do not lean on your own understanding. So first, he guides us in life as we fully trust in him. And second, he guides us in life as we lean on his understanding above our own. So what does it mean to not lean on your own understanding? Well, I'm going to do what everyone, you, you always love when people do this. I'm going to tell you what it means by telling you what it does not mean. And that is, it does not mean that you don't think, you don't reason, you don't use the sense that God has given you. You don't use wisdom that God has given you. It doesn't mean that. Because, I mean, consider where this is written. It's written in the book of Proverbs, which is all about wisdom, gaining knowledge, gaining understanding. And it's written by Solomon. He's the man of wisdom. So, so it's, it's not that we check that at the door. So what does it mean? And I think it can be illustrated by the tragedy and the downfall of Solomon himself. Because when we consider Solomon's life, it can be difficult to understand how could he, out of anybody else, how could he eventually fall away or reject God or start worshiping idols? How would it be him? He's known as the wisest man. And he wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, fear God and keep his commandments. Solomon understood the brevity of life. He understood what happened, what mattered. Yeah, and he seemed to understand much about God, yet he turned his heart away from him. How could this happen? Well, if you read in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1 through 4, 
We're going to find at least part of that answer. It says this, Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides the daughter of the king of Egypt, he married Hittite women, women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, and Sidon. He married them even though the Lord had commanded the Israelites not to intermarry with these people because they would cause the Israelites to give their loyalty to other gods. Solomon married 700 princesses and also had 300 concubines. They made him turn away from God. And by the time he was old, they had led him into the worship of foreign gods. He was not faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. So I think we can conclude that Solomon's position, his prestige, his accomplishments probably contributed to this turning away from God. He became comfortable. He didn't see a need to trust or lean on the Lord. And by the way, all these things mentioned, the the gaining foreign wives, the uh, plurality of wives that he had, and all of these things, they were actually uh, condemned by the Lord. They were commanded that they shouldn't, the king shouldn't do that precisely because a person who has everything or has all these riches, uh, has all these things, they, they would learn to lean on themselves rather than on God. And there were presumably years of this progressive downfall of Solomon until his, his heart finally turned away from the Lord in his old age. And in this way, Solomon leaned on his own understanding. He leaned on his own definition of success. He leaned on his own definition of victory. Leaned on his own source of pleasure and satisfaction. Leaned on his own direction, wisdom, and understanding. And in this way, leaned on himself rather than on God. Are we leaning on our own understanding today? Do you depend on your own way of thinking about relationships, about joy, about satisfaction, or do you submit to his understanding? As we desire to be guided by the Lord and directed by him in our life, then we will not lean on our own understanding. But also, he guides us in life as we acknowledge him in all our ways. Acknowledge him in all our ways. If I'm being honest, as I was going through this text these past weeks, uh, this portion in particular was the most convicting for me. Um, Because, as I mentioned before, after all these years of walking with the Lord, all these years, okay, yeah, all these years of walking with the Lord, I, I still find myself in a place where I'm planning, 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 we should plan. But then asking God to bless those plans after the fact. And I think here... We're supposed to acknowledge him in all our ways. It's, it's a reminder uh, that the philosophy of God bless me while you mind your own business just doesn't work. We are to acknowledge him in all our ways. To trust God is to acknowledge him. And, and this phrase, the, the clause, acknowledge him in all, our ways, in all our ways, has to do with seeking God, not about using God for your own purposes. We are to, in all our ways, seek after God. Acknowledge God. So the primary question in every circumstance is where is God in this? Where is God in this growing relationship? Where is God in this challenging decision? Where is God in this ministry opportunity? Where is God in this apparent blessing? Where is God? In all your ways, seek God. Acknowledge God. Look for God. 
And I, I think, too, we talked a little bit about this uh, in our youth time. But the way we use the, the word acknowledge today is, is very different, pretty surface level. You know, you see somebody across the street uh, that maybe you met last week. You say, hey, I see you. <laughs> Come on. Right? You wave at them. Or um, for basketball fans in here, Steph Curry dribbling up down the court, give it a shot, hit that shot. What does he do? What does he do? He points up. Right? Which, which is fine, which is good. But this is generally how we think of the term acknowledge. Uh, but I think the, the trouble is that uh, these understandings of the word render the verse in Proverbs pretty distant and cold. Uh, when the meaning is actually much more powerful. Uh, the word translated acknowledge in this context, so the root of it is to know, often translated as to know. But in this context, the word acknowledge means to declare, so there's a declaration piece, to declare that you own or recognize something to be established. To declare that you own or you recognize something to be established. And this, this, this was really a consistent journey with the Israelite people. They were expected at every turn, success, failure, victory. And they were to declare acknowledgement of God. They were to erect altars at significant places. They were to worship continuously. They were to acknowledge him. They were to declare these things. It's not just a mindset, not just a heart set, but it is a declaration as well. And I think I'm not, uh, I'm not stretching this too far. I, I don't think I am. Uh, but when you look at the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and then you look at the New Testament Greek, you'll find that this word acknowledgement is actually mentioned with a similar context, a similar meaning of this word acknowledgement is mentioned in the New Testament as well. And I'm, I'm only, only a few times is it mentioned, but I'll, I'll just mention two here for us. So sorry, I will mention Okay, is it up on the screen? How did I do that? Pardon me. Ah, just flipping the wrong way. But we also find this term in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 says, Every man who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. John chapter 9, verse 22 such was their answer because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already settled among themselves that if anyone should acknowledge Jesus as the Christ, he should be executed, excluded, I'm sorry, from the synagogue. That is very different. It is extremely different. Well, sometimes the exclusion led to execution, so cut me some slack in this room. Goodness gracious. All right. All right. I think there's also a sense uh, in which, as we acknowledge him in all our ways, uh, it is a, a heart posture. It is a mindset, uh, but it's also a declaration. And as we are willing, as we step out in faith and we are called to share of our faith in our context, as we're willing to do that, he guides us and he directs us in all our ways. Acknowledge him in all our ways and he will make your paths straight. So he guides us in life as we do three things here. Trust him with everything. Lean on his understanding above our own. And acknowledge him in all our ways. 
I'm going to ask the praise team to come up now, and we'll close in prayer together.